0: are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. As I think about the history of BFC, it's a fascinating history. The entire city of Bethany was started by Nazarenes with three institutions. It was started with a church and with a school and with a compassionate ministry center. They were the foundation of the beginning of Bethany as a community. And today they are still the foundational institutions, and that is Bethany First Church, Southern Nazarene University, and now the Children's Hospital. The history of BFC has, has in our DNA that we have always been innovative. We've always been, been leading the way. This was the first church in our entire denomination, now 2.6 million people strong, that ever built a sanctuary that seated over 1,000 people. We were the first sanctuary that was uh, over a million dollars in for a cost. We were the first one to build it in the round. We were the first church to have theater seating. We were the first church to have a full-time youth director. We were the first church in the denomination to think about the open altar, that the altar was a place where anybody could come with any need in any situation, that it wasn't just a place for someone to be saved or sanctified, but it was a place where people could meet God. That's the history of BFC. BFC has always been innovative, but that's our legacy. And what we have to think about now is what's our future. Every generation has another decision to make. Will, what will we do, not just for ourselves, but for our children? And I think this is a defining moment in many ways. It's a missional moment. It's not just about maintenance, it's about mission. Where does God want us to be in the next 50 years? And and I believe that BFC still has that DNA thread of saying that we will do whatever it takes as a people in obedience to God to accomplish His mission where He's called us to be.
1: We have here, excuse me. What an incredible heritage that we have here at Bethany First Church. Did you know? that this church has been in existence for over 110 years. That's a century and a decade that this church has been in this community sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, offering hope, love to people. I think it's just incredible. And so in the last summer, we have been celebrating the fact that we have been in this room for 50 of those years. So the last 50 years, we've been gathering together in this very room, and we've been worshiping here together. And I've heard some incredible stories. People have said, Pastor Rick, it was in this room that my sins were forgiven. This is where I came to know Jesus. Others have talked about this is where I was dedicated as a baby, or this is where I was married, or this is where we dedicated our children, or this is where I was baptized. This is where God spoke to me. This is where God called me into a particular ministry. And we've loved it, just hearing all of these stories. So, Here's the basic idea, that this summer we focused on the last 50 years, and it's been awesome, and we've loved doing it, but today we're going to focus on the next 50 years. Do you like that? I want to talk with you about the future of Bethany First Church and where God is calling us into His future. So, as a leadership of your church, your church board came to a place a few months ago where they said, we believe the time is now to renew this room. This room that we've been in for 50 years. And uh, we begin to have town hall meetings to discuss it with you. And over these last three weeks, we have met with 1,000 adults, just over 1,000 adults. And we've had incredible feedback from you telling us what your ideas and what your dreams and your hopes are. And you've given us good feedback. Would you be interested in knowing what the number one uh item was that you wrote about, that you talked about, that you wanted to hear more about. Do you want to know what that was? Anybody want to guess what it might have been? It was the seats. What color are the seats going to be, you know? And are the seats going to have armrests? And how easy can I get to the very back seat because that's my seat back there? Uh, I was texting with Timmy Riggs the other day. And I wasn't for sure about his last text. And so I just said to him, Hey, Timmy, are you okay? And his response was, No, I'm not okay. I'm really concerned about the color of the seats in the new sanctuary. So, Timmy is carrying this burden with others. Uh, You know, we, 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 we have an incredible second service crowd here. I love this group. But if you just look around for a minute, this is a very young crowd. I was sitting here a while ago during the offering being taken, and I just kind of looked over my shoulder, and a lot of you were up passing plates and ushering and all that, and I just thought, man, this is a young group of people. The first service, not so much. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and so when we started, we said one of the things that is really high priority for us is that we want to honor both services. So we said immediately, we're going to protect the saints. For example, the stained glass that you see in the room, we will never touch that stuff. Here to stay. We love it. And the other thing was the pipe organ. Now, you don't hear it in the service, but they hear it in the second. But we also said that we want to be able to transition easily and create a very conducive worship space for other styles of worship, like second service. And so that's the plan that we put together. And i got some really good news for you today. We at BFC are debt-free. Is that good news? Do you love hearing that? So as we pray about tackling this new project of Renewing the Sanctuary... We're not over here wringing our hands saying we got this big debt load that we got to service and somehow we've got to take care of the debt while we're trying to raise money to do this. That's not our story. Our story is BFC is debt-free and we are free to now move forward with this other project. And we're very, very thankful. The reason we are debt-free is because of your generosity And your faithfulness in your giving, there is not a church of the Nazarene in the world today that gives as much as Bethany First Church gives on an annual basis. And it's because of your generosity and your commitment to the vision of this church, the church of Jesus Christ, that we carry no debt with us today. It's amazing to me. So I want to take you to the book of Matthew. Would you open your Bible with me to chapter 16? And I want to show you some of the words of Jesus this morning. Now, Jesus is traveling, and he comes to the town, the region, rather, of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a city that was given to Herod the Great by the emperor of Rome, Augustus Caesar. He basically said, Herod, I want to give this to you because of your loyalty to me. And so Herod the Great says, well, thank you, and in return, I would like to build a temple for you, where your citizens can come and worship you. Not making this stuff up. The people said to accomplish what Augustus Caesar had accomplished, he must be a god. In fact, Caesar said of himself, I must be a god to accomplish what I've accomplished. And so there's this temple, white temple built, where citizens could come and actually worship their emperor, God, as they referred to him. And it was in this backdrop, the center of Caesar worship, That Jesus gathers His disciples and says, in essence, who deserves your worship? Here's the way it unfolds. He asks His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about Me? And they said, well, we'll tell you what we're hearing, okay? Some are saying that you're John the Baptist, So the idea was that John the Baptist was such a great man that people could perceive the possibility of him actually coming back from the dead. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. The idea was that Elijah would return before the Messiah would come. Some believe that Jeremiah would come bringing with him the Ark of the Covenant before the Messiah would come. Regardless, what... The disciples are saying to Jesus, Is the word on the street, Jesus, is that you are viewed among the greatest prophets of Israel. And then it gets personal. But you. Now we're not talking about them. Now we're talking about you. He asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah. The son of the living God. Simon was saying, Jesus, you are the one the prophets have written about. You are the Christ. You are God's anointed. You're the one that all of Israel has been waiting for. You are the son of the living God. And so Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my Father in heaven... And I also say to you that you are Petros in the Greek. Petros is the Greek word for Cephas. Jesus was speaking in Aramaic one day and he said, Simon, you'll be called Peter, which means rock, Cephas. The Greek translation is Petros. And on this Petra, on this rock, a play on words, I will build my church. Jesus is actually saying here, the word for church is Ecclesia, gathering. I will gather my people. And the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus is saying they can put me on a cross. They can take my very life. They can bury me in a tomb. But it will not stop my church. My church is going to march forward no matter what they do to me. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever is you bind rather on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. In other words, Peter, you and the apostles are going to make some very difficult decisions along the way. And we watch them make those decisions through the book of Acts. You're going to have great responsibility. You're going to have to make choices. And he gave the disciples orders. The world's just not ready. The time just has not come to tell no one that he was the Messiah. So we have gathered together in this room as a community of faith. Me, only the last seven years. Some of you, the last 50 years. And it's a meaningful room because it's a place where that you come to encounter God. You, you come to worship Him. You come to hear the Word of God preached. You come to respond to Him. And it's become a, a sacred place. And you experience sacred moments because it's a room that's set apart for encountering the presence of a holy God. There's a story uh, that we can tell about the room. I don't really particularly like the story. It doesn't excite me much. And the story is that the room is tired and worn. The seats are kind of coming apart uh, because of the fabric was kind of re-put on 20 years ago. And the seats are breaking and we don't have parts anymore to repair them. We did up until just maybe five years ago and then we ran out of parts uh, the carpet is worn and there's stains in the carpet. In fact, probably where you're sitting, you can look down and see a stain. Uh, and we just can't get the stains up anymore. It's 20 years old, uh, the carpeting is. And, and you could just kind of go on. We're, we're thankful every Sunday that we come to church and the sound system comes on. We're just like, oh, thank you, Lord. We got sound today, you know. And we're just thankful that we don't have a fire due to the lighting stuff going on because there's a lot of mess up there. And we just keep praying that God will keep us safe until we get through this process. And And that's a true story, but it's just not a story that excites me. When I think about the future of Bethany First Church, I, I I don't want to think about a tired room that we need to maintain or even a beautiful room. that's not that's not what motivates me. When I think about the future of Bethany First Church, I think about the fact that God has placed a calling on us and that God wants to use us and that God loves people more than we will ever begin to fathom. And God is saying to us, I want to use you to reach out in love to those people. I want this to be about others. And I remember after I came here, I sat down one day with a friend of mine now, whose name is Judy Akins. And I said, Judy, I got a lot in my heart and I put it all on paper and I need you to help me say it better. And I remember when we honed these words, And we said, we want to become a church that is passionate about becoming more like Jesus. And we want to help people come to know Jesus. Because we want them to become like Jesus so they can help others come to know Jesus. So they can become like Jesus and help others. And it just goes on and on and on. Our desire is that we would somehow be used of God in a way like Bethany First Church has never been used to reach people with the love of Jesus. And so recently I was reading about another church, and they're going through this similar building process. And here's what they said in their writing. They said, this building is not about having a beautiful worship center. It's not what we're all about. That's not our motivation. That's not what moves us. This building represents a meeting place for those who have never encountered the presence of God. So when I want to dream about the future of Bethany First Church, I want to dream about a place like this where people come in, they stumble into this room, maybe hurting, maybe broken, maybe with a lot of questions about God, not understanding all those things. But in this room, they encounter the presence of God and their lives are changed forever to never be the same again. We've got stories all around us these days. Stories of people who say, I remember the first Sunday that I came to Bethany First Church. I wasn't a Christian. I came because, one lady says, my kid wanted to play basketball here. That's why I came to this church. But as a result of coming to the room that day, I found myself in the presence of God. And I never wanted to leave that setting. And it was after that that I asked Jesus Christ into my heart. asked to be forgiven of my sins. And my life has never been the same since that day. When I dream about the future of Bethany First Church, that's what I dream about. Our newest staff member graduated from Southern Nazarene University last spring. Her name is Sydney. She helps us with social media. And Sydney has sent an email to our staff, and she says, as you dream about the next 50 years, challenging us, as you dream about the next 50 years, as you dream about renewing the sanctuary, Sydney said, what are you dreaming about? What's your dream for them? Is it a dream for your family? See, i got a feeling that there's many of you here this morning who are saying, Hey, Rick Harvey, I've got family members who are just far from Jesus. And I would give anything to see them come toward Christ. I want them to know Jesus like I know Him. I want them to be loved by Jesus like I'm loved by Jesus. I want them to, to, to sense the love of Jesus that I sense Is it for your family? Is it for the generation to come? In first service, we talked about you guys. Primarily you guys right here on my left. And we talked about the generation that's just behind us. Is it about the hopeless? Do you dream about the brokenhearted? Do you dream about the rich, the poor, the homeless? What about the person who feels they just don't belong? The whole point of dreaming for the next 50 years, Sidney says, is that you do it. With them in mind. See, when Jesus says, I'm going to gather my church, I'm going to build my church, who's He going to gather? We're already here. He's going to gather them. In the heart of Jesus, it's always loving His flock, loving those who are here, and He's always looking out saying, Let's bring them in too. Let's gather them along with you. Let's keep bringing them. Let's keep inviting them. Let's keep thinking about them. So when I dream about the future, that's what I dream about. You might, uh, be saying with many comments that we found in our town hall, one of the main questions was, so if, if we take this huge step of renewing the sanctuary, how do we know we're not gonna be in this place again someday? How are we gonna keep this from happening again? Meaning, how are we gonna keep the building, you know, from, from getting to this place again? And so when I'm asked that question, I, I sometimes just kind of smile and say, you know, I, I don't think there's anything you can do. I mean, if you went today to a car dealership and you bought a brand new car today and you drove that car for 15 years, in 15 years you're going to look at that car and say, this thing just looks worn out. I mean, it just happens, right? If you got a brand new husband today... You're going to look at him in 50 years and say, look at him. He just looks worn out. And if you're wondering to yourself, why didn't you say wife? Because I am smarter than I look. That's why I did not say wife. Yeah, I'm not saying that. Not stupid, okay? I think what you're really asking is, can we do a better job of maintaining our facilities? I think that's what you're asking. And the answer is yes, and the answer is we must. We made a very painful decision about five years ago, and it was difficult. But we made some major changes here in order to put more money into major maintenance. So let me talk to you just for a moment about, about the effort we're making. So in my first year here, we didn't do much with the building. In my second year here, we began to start, uh, you know, doing a better job of maintenance, that kind of thing. I just knew that that was a responsibility that we always have when we come to a church, and we've got to keep the place up. And, and just some of the things that we've done and the ground floor and the first floor of the adult classrooms was a complete redo. When I say redo, I mean new flooring, new wall paint, new uh, cabinetry. Everything was new. Even the bathrooms on that, on that first and that ground floor. We also did a complete redo of the Floyd Center. I walked in there just the other day for reception, and I said to my wife, Annette, I said, Look at this room, look at this building. This is awesome. It looks incredible. We house our after-school program in there every day, every afternoon during the school year. We also did a complete redo of the main lobby and the west lobby. We recently just did a complete redo of both sides of the youth rooms, technology and everything. Along with that, in the last six years, we have put on $750,000 worth of roofs. 500000 on this roof alone. We've also bought a new boiler and a new chiller, and so I hope you feel well chilled in this room this morning, do you? Do you know how much that totals just in the last six years? Just over $4 million. See, some of you are sitting there saying, Rick, I had no idea. That we were investing that much money to try to keep this place up. It's hard to understand because we live in houses probably on an average that around 2,000, 2,500 square feet. We have 240,000 square feet here to maintain. It's a lot of space. And we're trying hard to maintain the property. And this room is one that's kind of taken a back seat to the maintenance. I've been sharing with you that I was in Israel. This past July and interestingly to me, those Israeli Christians that I spent time with, these are people who were born in Israel, raised in Israel, grew up, many of them Jewish in the faith, have converted to Christianity and now they go to church every weekend just like you go to church and they worship Jesus just like you and I worship Jesus. Their lives are devoted to Jesus. And here's what's interesting that I learned about them: they never, ever, ever say church. It's just not in their vocabulary. Do you know what they say? Assembly. In fact, Cariel, our guide said, "On Saturday, you will go to assembly with me." And everybody's like, "What's he talking about?" Somebody said, "Church." He told us what time assembly met. When Jesus says, I will build my church, He uses the word ekklesia. Let me give you the definition of the word ekklesia. A gathering or assembly of people. So Jesus said, I am going to build my gathering. I'm going to build this community of people. I'm going to build my, my people. And so you might ask, well then why do I open the Bible And it doesn't say gathering or assembly, it says church. Let me give you a very short explanation. So, when Constantine became the Emperor of Rome in the 300s, he became a Christian. His mother became a devout Christian. And so, for the first time since the inception of Christianity, Christianity is now legal. You don't get put in jail. You don't get thrown to the lions for being a Christian. And so new freedoms come with Christianity. One of the freedoms came was that you could build a building. Up until this point, everybody met in homes. For the first time, Ecclesia became a location. We're going to gather here. The Romans... Used the Latin word basilica to refer to these buildings. But the Gothic community used a German word that we use for church. And so when the Bible is translated into English, most everything is like a word-for-word translation. But because of the context, someone said, let's don't use the word gathering. People wouldn't understand as well because they're used to going to a church. So let's say the word church. It's not a translation. It's a substitution and not a very good one. Because there's two conflicting ideas. One is about a community gathering together and the other is about a building. Jesus never said, I'm going to build a building Jesus said, I'm going to build a gathering. But the fact of the matter is, we've got to gather somewhere, right? And you can understand the conflict in the minds of the people first translating the Bible into English. So when I get excited about the future of Bethany First Church, you know what I get excited about? I get excited about us continuing to gather, to gather And us continuing to become more like Jesus together. And then I get excited about them. I get excited about those who aren't here yet. I get excited about helping people come to know Jesus so they can also become like Jesus. So they can help others become to know Jesus. So they can also, and it just keeps going on and on. I get excited about the future. And this room, this room has been the place where we have gathered You see, this idea of gathering is not like some idea that I have or some other pastor before me had or some early church father had. This was Jesus' idea. I'm going to gather my people. And in the Word of God we hear, don't stop doing this right here. Don't stop gathering like this. This is very important. And so when we dream about the future, we we just have a couple of pictures to show you this morning. Troy Rhodes and his architectural firm have been helping us in this journey of saying, What if we renewed this room? What could it possibly be like and look like? And we're going to put these pictures out in the lobby for you, and we're going to put them in print. But I brought a couple with me this morning. I thought you might love to see them. So this would be what the church might look like for first service. We talked about versatility. um, And so maintaining kind of the, the BFC traditional look here. But for second service, we might transform the room to look more like this. And then here's another picture that you might appreciate. It would look something like this many times in second service. And so we just want to be a church for people with different styles of worship and we want to be able to transform this room quickly uh, for different, different styles of worship and, and wh- whatever that might be as we move into the future. We have a guy named Scott and he moved back here recently. Scott and uh, Hermina Steerman have a lot of history in this church. And we said, Scott, as we begin this process, would you maybe help us tell the story? And um, Scott sent me an email the other day, and I've just got to read some of it to you, okay? Scott said recently, I stood in the middle of this empty sanctuary. He said the setting felt poetic. I I know what he means. There there are many times I'll leave my third floor office and I'll come down the elevator and I'll come into this room when nobody's in here. And I'll just sit down in one of the seats and i just hang out here for a little while just by myself just to pray, to think, just, just to be in the presence of the Lord. He said the sun beamed through the glass and a rainbow wash dappled over the room. A sacred stillness surrounded me, Scott says. The seats were all empty, and the instruments were silent, and the room was very quiet. Listen to these words, Scott says, but the church was not quiet. The vacant seats that surrounded me spoke a very important truth, and you've got to lean in. He said, the church is mostly the church when this room is empty. You love that? So the church is mostly the church when this room is empty. When the room is empty, BFC is busy, out there. The body of Christ, alive and moving in the world, offering hope and offering love and kindness and compassion, bearers of light, walking into dark places. And Scott says, truthfully, I don't always do that very well. And left on my own, I sometimes plod through my week and limp back into this room on a Sunday morning in need of encouragement and hope. But he concludes with these words, gathering to gather is required of us. I need to be with all of you regularly. That's important to me. But our experience together must be more than just an experience together. Our gathering prepares us to be the church for a world that desperately needs to know the truth we hold in our hearts. Those are Scott's words. Let me, let me give you my words, okay? Gathering was never meant to be simply about gathering. If, if, if your idea of if I go to church on Sunday morning and I sit in the room with everybody, then I've kind of done my thing for the week. No, no, no. Gathering was never meant to be simply about gathering. It's about gathering so we can be sent. We gather so we can go. It's, it, it's kind of like breathing, okay? In, in the sense that we, we gather and then we go. And we gather and then we go. And next week we gather again and then we go. And then the next week we gather again and then we go. But gathering is so important. Do you ever wonder what would have happened to the church of Jesus Christ if they had never gathered? And maybe an even more rich question would be, what would have happened to the church of Jesus Christ if they had never gone? Jesus kept saying, come on, come unto me, come unto me. And then He would say, I'm going to send you as the Father sent me. Come on, come on, come unto me. Now I'm going to send you as the Father sent me. Come on, come on with me. Now I'm going to send you as the Father sent me. Now come on. It's just this breathing. We gather, and then we go, and we gather, and then we go. Once a week I talked to Doug and Margaret Eaton. They've gathered here many times with me on Sunday morning, and many times before I was ever here. And one day God said to Doug and Margaret, "I'm sending you to Africa, to Aswatini." I talked to them on the phone the other day, I FaceTime with them once a week, and I was talking to them on the phone, and their hearts were so heavy. I said, how are you guys doing? And they said, we've had a heavy few days. We met this young girl. She was raised in a horrific situation. She was beaten. She was starved. And she has been raped most of her life by family members. Only by the grace of God did we find her. And we got her out of that home where she had been beaten and starved and raped most of her life by family members. And we got her to a hospital and got her baby delivered, and then we were able in the next day to get her to a very safe place where she can begin healing from this horrific life that she has had to experience. And here's Doug looking at me in real time, tears just coming down his face, Margaret shaking her head crying. And they said, "Rick, she can't even raise her head to look you in the eye." See? God says, "Come on, come on, Doug and Margaret, let's gather. No, I'm sending you. We don't gather just to gather. We gather because there are people in the world who need the hope that we can offer them through Jesus Christ, and so we gather so we can go. It's not about this room. It's about what happens when we leave this room. But if we didn't gather, we wouldn't go. So let me just let me just share a little bit more, and I'm going to wrap up here. Okay. Um, I want you to ponder this question. So so nobody gets off on this. I want everybody to be involved. I want everybody to. This is not for the person behind you or beside you. This is for you. Okay. I want you to answer a question with me. Are we asking God to renew our church? And when I say church, I mean building. Okay. Are we asking God to renew our church or are we asking God to renew our church gathering? I sat in a room with uh, some people not long ago. Stephanie Schellenberger was in that room. We were talking and thinking together about the sanctuary renewal, and Stephanie Schellenberger begins to cry and she says, I believe that God is going to do something powerful in the life of this church through this Sanctuary Renewal Project. I believe God is going to revive our spirits. I believe God's going to change us. See, I decided a long time ago, this is way more than just about renewing a room. This is about renewing a community. And so let me just talk to you from my heart for a few minutes, okay? Annette and I, you know, moved here seven years ago, and and we... Um, you know, begin to wonder about the sanctuary someday. And I came to a place of really believing the Lord was saying this is the time. And so I met with the church board. We started a long time ago having conversations about this. And so um, I remember kind of in the back of my mind, there was always this kind of uh, a little bit of a gnawing that said, "Okay, Rick, if you if you really believe that I'm leading you to do this, okay, you realize there was kind of this sense and, you know, you and Annette will need to lead. You and Annette are going to need to step up because leaders lead. And so you need to be responsible here. So if you're leading the church, you're going to have to do something more than you've ever done before in your giving to this project. And I, I kind of had that back in the back. It was just kind of a, it would, it, would, it would remind me every once in a while, okay, you're taking, you believe the Lord's leading you, Rick, but, you know, this means you're going to have to do something in the way of giving that's beyond what you've ever done before. And, and, and I was okay with that. But somewhere along the way, it changed. I mean, there was a complete shift. And it was no longer about responsibility. It was about a desire of want to. And I began to say to Annette, Annette, I believe so much in the future of this church And and I'm 57 years old, but God still lets me dream, okay? And I dream to the point that I don't believe that the best days are behind us. I believe the best days are still in front of us. I believe that God has great things to do. The Apostle Paul said that God can do more than you would ever ask or even imagine, even dream of. God can do more than we're going to ask Him to do. God can do more than we can ever dream about. And so I believe so much in this that I want us to stretch ourselves. I want us to do something beyond what we ever dreamed we would ever do, okay? And so Annette was with me. She's just saying, yes, I want to too. I believe in it like you do. I want us to do something that's just beyond what we thought we could do. And so, you know, I'm I'm a practical thinker. And so I'm looking at my finances. And, And I know that some of you aren't even at this conversation yet because we're just now today saying... Do you vote with us to support going forward with this? So, But I've been thinking about it for a long time. And I finally had this number in my mind. God, here's what I'm thinking. If we can be really careful, if we can tighten things up, and if we can have some time because it's going to take some time, if, if we can maybe can have a couple of years to pay this commitment, I think maybe just doing the math, I think maybe this is a number we can achieve. And just this week, just past week, I'm praying. I'm just having a conversation with the Lord. I'm just saying, this is what I think Annette and I can do. And and I felt like the Lord asked me a question. It was in kind of a unique setting. I was listening to this guy talk, and, and through his words, I just felt like the Lord said to me, Okay, Rick, since when did you become responsible for bringing in your resources? I was like, you got me. I I do not supply my needs. You do, God. I'm not the one bringing in the income. You are. And I felt like the Lord was just challenging me what if you came up with a number that you have no idea how you can reach it? What if you stretched? What if you stepped out in faith? What if you believed me for what seems to you to be impossible? You know who that reminded me of? That reminded me of the people 50 years ago who were meeting just across this little street who had a dream. You want to talk about risk takers? You want to talk about people who stepped out in faith? A group of people who said, why don't we build a 2,500 seat sanctuary? And here it is today. It was larger than the population of this city. What in the world were they thinking? Where in the world did they get that kind of vision? Where did they get that kind of faith? You understand, that was from God. Because God envisioned a church that they had never seen. And they straighten their backs and they lift their chin and they said, we are going to do what seems impossible. I want to have the faith of those who came before me. And I don't want to believe God like they believed God. And so this morning, here's what we're asking of you. Your church leadership believes that this is the time to renew this room. It's a lot of money, four and a half million dollars. We're not voting this morning to borrow anything. We're just voting to say, I think we should go forward with this project. We're wanting to raise every dollar of this. That's our goal. And so if you're 15 years of age or older and you are a regular attender of this church, I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now, okay? Okay. Fifteen years of age or older and a regular attender of the church, meaning a member or a non-member. Some people have asked, so why are we having members and non-members to vote? And the answer to that question is simply this. We want everybody to give. Amen? So whether you're a member or not, we want you to give. This is your church. We want you to feel very welcome to give and be a part of this. And there's a place on the ballot that you're going to receive in the moment. And you can check on there whether you're a member or a non-member, okay? Okay. So, so this morning, we're saying to you as church leadership, as the church board, that we believe now is the time. And we're asking you, do you believe now is the time? And so a vote of yes is not just a vote of yes. It's really a vote of, I'm also going to support this, Pastor Rick. I'm going to pray about what God would have me to do in this endeavor. And so ushers are coming now. They're passing out ballots. Uh, Nobody is down in the front middle here. If you could move your way uh, this way also. But after you've received your ballot, you're free to sit down, okay? And take a moment. I know you've been praying up till now. If you want to take a moment to pray, vote. And then when you leave, you can give your ballot to people. We'll be at every exit. Just hand your ballot to someone there collecting ballots at every effort. So let's worship the Lord as we vote.